Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Looks like sports gambling could be a reality in Ohio very soon. It's one of the subjects we'll be talking about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn, here with two of our regulars, Laura Johnston and Lisa Garvin, and we're joined by a special guest, data guru and editor, Rich Exner. Welcome, Rich. Thanks for having me, Chris. You, you edited a bunch of the stories we're talking about today, and we figured, let's bring on the expert. Lisa, Laura, you ready to go? Absolutely. I really we feel are. like at one point for Christmas, we should get um, Rich like a data guru, like sign or something because <laughs> that's what we keep referring to him as like it's not an official title but he's like a desk plate well we're I, looking for a reporter to work with we Rich, are. covering data be like the greatest reporting job in the world to learn data reporting from the data guru but we haven't had a whole lot of people with be the, like getting a master's degree working with rich in right. data right i, I mean I, I figured that by saying you get to work with rich exner the, the floodgates <laughs> would open but maybe it's rich's exacting standards or frightening people from applying i only half jokingly when i when i say that someday i would like to have a story that had only numbers and no letters in it <laughs> <laughs> i think that's called a math problem <laughs> all right well let's get to some letters Are Ohio legislators who have hemmed and hawed about sports betting about to speedily make it legal in Ohio? Laura, this comes like lightning after just dragging the feet for months and months and months, years, really. What's up? Isn't that how it happens in the legislature? You know, they get to the end of the session. They're like, oh, no, we procrastinated. We have to pass everything. But yes, it's looking like it. A special joint House and Senate conference committee is scheduled to meet this morning to consider approving House Bill 29. That's the sports betting bill that the Senate actually approved in June. The House refused to approve it outright. If a deal is struck, observers say the legislature could approve a final version of the bill by this week or next. So Merry Christmas, gambling industry. Looks like it's going to happen. Still not all worked out. Lawmakers are discussing how many permits to award to a mix of professional sports teams, brick and mortar casinos, bars, restaurants, and mobile betting platforms. They still have to figure out the granular points of how to regulate the new industry and tax it. And if it bill passes, it could be a year before betting is legal because there's a process of waiting 90 days to become law. There's rulemaking, licensing, other bureaucratic steps. But I don't think there'll be a hold up, at least with the governor signing it. DeWine has urged the legislature to pass this bill. Yeah, I see. I'm betting they'll pass it and it'll start June you're 1st. betting. <laughs> and, and, and I do believe they've worked out most of what you're talking about. Bill Seitz, who's got a lot of power in the legislature, as we've said, is telling people we got this. This is we've we've ironed it all out. We're ready to go. It's going to rocket through committees today. We suspect, and and we'll get answers to the questions you raised. But I think they may have them. So we'll have to see. This is a huge money deal. It does mm-hmm. change the whole language of sports coverage. Um, people start to think about the lines. I mean, we do this now. You, you have odds and all of the things but but it's uh, the, the history australia was one of the first places to do this and the whole language of coverage of sports changed because 
betting became such a factor in what? it. Well, and it's not like we're the only ones doing this. I mean, Michigan, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia have all passed legalization bills since, I believe, the Supreme Court declared it legal in uh, July 2018. Kentucky's still working on it. Uh, but they, they don't want to botch this rollout like they did medical marijuana, which took years and it's still getting straightened out. That's what one of the sponsors, State Rep. Jay Edwards, said. So... Um, he said he had a little bit of a sticking point, but you're probably right, Chris. I, I don't think anybody's really opposed to it. So they just got to get it done. Yeah, I think they want to get this done because it's revenue. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Is Ford going to overtake Chevy as Greater Cleveland's top car brand? Rich, Sean is our new, relatively new business reporter, and he's been cranking out interesting stories that people like to read, if you can judge by the numbers. This is an interesting one. We've been a Chevy town, and now we're not going to be? Yeah, it looks like this year's going to be Ford in, in Northeast Ohio. Um, what, what Sean did is he checked with the Cleveland Automobile Association because they track um, 21 counties in Northeast Ohio. They, they look up the license renewals from the state and see where are the new renewals coming from or what brands, I should say. And through November, Ford is in the lead with 27,421 new cars and trucks to date. That's about 500 more than Chevy. Uh, the rest of the top five, Honda's third, about 7,000 vehicles behind Ford. And then you ha- have Ke- uh, Kia and Toyota checks in at number five. Um, yeah, the other thing I found interesting is we've heard a lot in recent years, even decades, about the losses of those big uh, U.S. automakers. I mean, we know how many Ford plants were, there were around Ohio, plus, plus Chevy had their big operation in Parma and still to some extent. But, but even with the decline of the, uh, or the, or the uh, foreign, foreign vehicles coming in and being more popular, even with that, Ford and Chevy are still number one and two in our region, and they still account for about 25%, just those two automakers, of all the cars and trucks sold so far this year. We did talk earlier in the year in the podcast about how the Ford F-150 was the number one vehicle being sold in Ohio. It was amazing how many trucks were in the top of the list. Is, is it just the, is that what's pushing this over the top for Ford? It's just people when they're buying, they're getting the, the Ford truck? It must be. Ford's pretty much left the car business, so we're down to SUVs <laughs> and, and, and trucks. Uh, somebody was just, one of our colleagues was just telling me the other day they went to go replace their, their husband's um, Ford Focus and learned it didn't exist anymore for them. Um, so th- that's, that's the route they seem to be taking. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Of course, we should mention Hondas are made in the state, and they're, mm-hmm. not, uh, they're not vying for the top, although they, they do have decent sales in Ohio. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's keep it on cars. Why were car sales down so much in November? Lisa, this is another Sean story. What happened? The, the car sales seemed like they were doing pretty well. Well, it's really the same old thing that it has been for the last several months, and it's it's the lack of semiconductor chips that are used in every vehicle to, made today. Um, inven- most of these chips are made in Asia. A lot of those factories were closed down again because of COVID issues, and they're way behind, not to mention that some manufacturers have bought chips and are hoarding them. And also, and that affects inventory, of course. I mean, I live very close to the Tesla dealership, and I walked by the other day, and they have maybe like three or four cars in the lot. So yeah, their inventory is looking pretty sketchy there. And a lot of people are pre-ordering vehicles. So you can pre-order. And so whatever inventory comes in is often promised to somebody already. So for the month of November, sales were down almost 18% from November of 2020. Uh, We sold uh, in the greater Cleveland area, 15,176 vehicles. Um, And 
it's a little bit better than October of this year. So, uh, vehicle sales were down 31%. We're, so we're seeing a little bit of improvement. So inventory issues may be easing just a little bit. And I think Rich mentioned this already, year to date, 2021, over 220,237 vehicles were sold. That was up 1% over 2020. So, and new vehicle prices are up almost 10%. Used vehicle prices are up 26.5%, and Ganley Subaru keeps sending me regular emails wanting me to sell my 2015 Crosstrek to them. So, yeah, they're still desperate for new and used inventory. Yeah, I get those all the time. So, Rich, based on our previous conversation, Chevy could still win this thing if they just satisfy the need. If they can churn out a few extra cars, they could still overtake Ford. Yeah, that's that's one thing I meant to mention as we were talking earlier. Just in November, apparently, Chevy sales were down about 40% or so from a year ago, where Ford was up slightly. So, if, if that got solved for the for the Christmas push here, if, if, if that if vehicles are a Christmas-type item or, or whatever in December, uh, Chevy still could catch up. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is it so hard for Cuyahoga County to fill a position dedicated to reducing the population in the controversial jail, thus making it a safer place? Laura, our columnist Eric Foster wrote a brilliant piece published today taking a completely different tack, saying forget the, the, this job. He's not saying don't fill it, but he's saying this really comes down to judges. The judges could reduce the jail population overnight if they chose to. But the county wants to have somebody whose job it is to do this. Why can't they fill that position? I mean, would you want to work in the Cuyahoga County Jail? <laughs> There's been so much turnover, and it's got to be incredibly hard to implement new programs and policies when you don't even have enough jail guards. And they've been way down so far this year. I mean, I think weren't they putting bailiffs in to work with uh, with jail population? So the county began advertising for this manager to connect and lead all the programs to reduce the number of inmates on September 29th. It received 22 applications in this six weeks, promptly reposted the job without a closing date because the right candidate failed to emerge. They just didn't have the qualifications that the county was looking for. And this, for this job, you know, you're going to have to work with a lot of different people and juggle a lot of different things. The goal is to streamline processing for accused offenders and expedite pretrial release, transfer them to a more suitable diversion programs. And this could include anything of increasing the number of ankle bracelets for electronic monitoring, developing better screening processes for diversion candidates. But you have a point like this person can't do anything without buy in from the judges. The, the idea that the judges are responsible, Eric made a very convincing case, and he said, look, if they had urgency, they would do it because last year they did have urgency. They were worried mm -hmm. about coronavirus sweeping through the jail. They got together, and they greatly reduced the population. I think they cut it in half, right? So, or even less so, than that. It was the lowest uh, you know, we, we'd seen ever. Yeah, and they, and they can. They just don't because, as we know, some of the judges are pretty lazy. They don't run a docket. They let the cases sit and sit and sit. And you can see by lists which judges have the biggest group of people in the jail. It's just they don't care. They're elected. They're not really answering for this. So it makes this job that we're talking about kind of frustrating because if you have to rely on the judges to make these calls and the judges are lazy and not showing up, you don't have any power, really, to reduce the jail staff. That's completely in the purview of the judges. 
So Eric makes a great case that we, we should be putting that big focus and the crosshairs on the judges who are being lazy and not doing their job. Well, and we've had stories, you know, Corey Schaefer wrote a great story just looking at how many judges we have in Cuyahoga County that we have double what they have in Franklin. And we just kept adding to it over the years without ever really taking a good look and saying, is this the right size? But I mean, that's not the only problem. Like we can talk about the diversion program, which opened in May, and they're supposed to divert nonviolent offenders with mental health or medical needs um, to to treatment rather than jail and you have cleveland police that weren't sending anybody there so it wasn't reducing the jail population centralized booking is supposed to still come online the thing is this has a, a very timely issue and that if we can't reduce the jail population then when we talk about building a new jail we're gonna have to build it bigger than we originally wanted to do and that is going to be a lot more expensive so it's nice to say okay we don't need this big of a jail when we build a new one but if you can't reduce your current population how does how how are you going to do it in the future? But we can reduce the population right because we did. They're I, just too lazy. But they're to not do doing it. it now, and so you can't plan for a new jail smaller than the one you have if you don't have a diversion. Like if you you're not reducing the population. And Eric has some very good anecdotes that kind of illustrate exactly why the judges are being lax in what they're doing. It's a good piece. Check it out on Cleveland.com and in today's Plain Dealer. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Do we have yet another argument for quickly shutting down Burke Lakefront Airport as Justin Bibb takes office as Cleveland mayor? What's the latest bad news for the airport that consumes such a huge portion of the downtown Cleveland Lakefront? Rich, there's so many people that want to get rid of that airport and make it useful lakefront land. And often people say, well, but we have it has some service available. Well, not as much service anymore, right? Not as much service anymore, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that that's a bigger issue. This, this was an individual service that uh, was serving a business-to-business -business need, and, uh, of course, the pandemic came along. Maybe this time we're talking more about a pandemic story than the airport, although certainly there are many, many airport issues out there about Burke. Um, uh, the news today is that the daily service between downtown Cleveland and the closest airport to downtown Cincinnati uh, is coming to an end next Thursday, December 16th. That's the last scheduled flight between the two cities for a company called Ultimate Air Shuttle. Now, our, our travel writer, Susan Glazer, reports that the business was actually pretty good, or at least meeting Ultimate's expectations, until the pandemic hit. In fact, Ultimate was planning to add additional flights about the time the pandemic hit in, in March of 2020. The ser service started in 2015. It was used mostly by business travelers. Um, it's about 45 minutes each way, so somebody wanting to do business in Cincinnati could go and back in one day pretty easily, as opposed to the four-hour drive each way. Um, the, seat, the planes weren't big. This isn't big service, though, as you point out about Burke. Um, there are about 20 seats or a little bit more each, and they often were filled ahead of the pandemic. That's why they were looking for more. Um, but um, the company, in, in shutting off the service next Thursday, saying they'd still like to come back if we ever get through this pandemic, I guess the question would be, will, will there be an airport for them to come back to? I remember long ago, um, I think it was Wright Airlines used to fly between downtown Detroit and downtown Cleveland that went away. So certainly over the years, these, these efforts to go from downtown to downtown have come and gone and uh, out of Burke. Well, people liked it because you didn't have to go through a lot of the security rigmarole. But let's face it, when it comes back, maybe we'll have high-speed rail service, right, Laura? <laughs> I mean, that would be nice. <laughs> we we could check with Governor Kasich on that one. 
<laughs> Indeed, we could. Uh, I mean, look, this is Justin. B- you know, Frank Jackson was a mayor for 16 years. He was dead set against Closenberg. Justin Bibb, from the opening salvos of his campaign, says Burke is closing, and we should do much more with it to benefit the entire population. This gives them some help because this service will be gone. He wouldn't even have to close it down to get it done. We'll have to see where that conversation goes. He takes office January 1st. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, here's the biggest challenge I've ever thrown at Lisa on this podcast. Lisa, can you make the funeral home cemetery bill going through the Ohio legislature understandable to everybody, including me? Why do owners of cemeteries feel like the lawmakers are sticking it to them to help funeral homes make more money? This is one of the most confusing pieces of legislation I've ever seen. Well, if I can make cancer understandable, I think I can do this. But, um, yeah, it took me a while. It took me a couple of reads to get through it and, and uh, make the proper notes. But we're talking about Senate Bill 224, and it offers more than a dozen changes to many funeral home laws. But the one that's causing the biggest flap is the money that is held in trust from pre-planned casket sales. So if you, you know, you buy a casket for grandma before she dies, a lot of that money is held in trust just in case that funeral home or that cemetery goes out of business. Now, the current formula is uh, the money held in trust from pre-planned casket sales for funeral homes is 90%. They have to hold 90% of that cost in trust, and then the the other 10% they use for operations. Now, cemeteries, the current formula for them is that 30% of these sales are held in trust, 70% is used to maintain the cemetery grounds and so on and so forth. So what the bill does is make cemeteries pay 90% or put 90% in trust just like the funeral homes. But the cemetery groups, the Ohio Cemetery Association, Kirk Roberts says, well, that's basically cutting cemeteries out of pre-planned casket sales. And they say that, you know, that that level of money held in trust is not needed for cemeteries because cemeteries don't default. And there are regulatory differences that they have to figure out, too, because cemeteries report their sales to the Ohio Department of Commerce which held them to that 30% trust level. And then funeral homes report to their sales to the Ohio Board of Embalmers and Funeral Directors. Now the cemetery people are afraid that they're now gonna have to answer to the funeral directors and embalmers group board. So I think I made it understandable. So basically there's, go ahead. Yeah, my question is what's broken here? I mean, it seems like the the funeral home people have a big lobby and, you know, they went to the legislature, dumped their money in and and are getting a change that helps them make more money because they would corner the market on pre-planned funerals by squeezing the cemeteries out. But but I haven't heard of cemeteries that went belly up with the 30 percent trust, leaving people in the bag. It's not nobody's articulating that this is a big problem. These nonprofit cemeteries haven't really stuck it to anybody so is this just legislators getting bought and paid for again by lobbyists? Well, I, we do know that the Ohio Funeral Directors Association does have a PAC, and they've donated over $30,650 to candidates over the last five years. The usual suspects, Governor Mike DeWine, uh, Matt Huffman, uh, Lieutenant Gen- Governor John Husted. The sponsor of this bill is Jerry Serino. He's a Republican out of, of, of Kirtland, and he says he really didn't, He this was unintended consequences. He wants to amend the bill to exempt just nonprofit cemeteries from this. But yeah, I can see where it's 
I, if I were a cemetery owner, I'd probably be a, a little bit upset about this. And they didn't have any money to spread around. They don't have a political action committee, so they didn't give money to lobbyists or, or politicians. So they're sucking hind tit my, there. My favorite line in this story from the sponsor was when he said, look, you know, I'm against regulations because he's a Republican. I'm against regulations. But let's face it. We need some regulations. <laughs> well, this flies in the face of that. There's nothing broken here. Why are they in a rush to fix it? It's once again evidence of just how bad the legislators we've elected are and what a supermajority does to corrupt the whole system. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How much are taxpayers in Cuyahoga County paying to a whistleblower because County Executive Armin Budish fired her rather than listen to her concerns about the Cuyahoga County Jail? Laura, we all know how that ended. By not listening to her concerns about the county jail, a whole lot of people died and the place became more unsafe than probably any time in history. It's one of the parts of Armin Budish's legacy. But now it's costing us a fortune. Armin Budish is costing taxpayers a bundle with his mismanagement and incompetence. Yeah, absolutely. This is a $550,000 settlement with former County Budget Director Maggie Keenan. And she said the officials filed her for repeatedly raising concerns about safety issues at the county jail and other misconduct. She's come up a bunch of times lately in the corruption probe and in the trial of Ken Mills, the former jail director, who actually, uh, she testified in his trial. So this is the second largest settlement so far in eight jail lawsuits that have been settled. There are another 22 to go, and it's costed taxpayers $2.36 million so far. And remember, this all stems from the idea that not only did they want to save money at the jail, they wanted to make money at the jail by taking in other prisoners they really didn't have any room for. Um, the county had paid $950,000 to the family of Gregory Fox. It's an inmate who died by suicide in the jail. And Gary Brock, a former Metro Health employee, was in charge of nurses at the jail. He had his own whistleblower lawsuit. He settled that for $99,000. But yeah, this just really makes you shake your head and think, what were they thinking? I mean, why didn't they... St I mean, there were so many signs that they should have stopped this idea. I mean, uh, all of those people died eight no, sorry nine inmates during 11 month span and and maggie wasn't maggie keenan was in charge of the budget people went to her and and kind of argued their case of why they should save money well they, 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 you hope that whoever replaces armin budish who wisely has chosen not to seek a third term when somebody raises their hand and says hey i think there's danger here they will listen to them rather than fire them it's yeah. like really not not brain surgery needed here. Just listen when people say, I think we're in trouble because it would have saved county taxpayers a lot of money, probably saved some lives and may have prolonged the political career of Armin Budish, who is leaving with one of the worst legacies I've ever seen. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We don't need sports gambling in Ohio to spend big bucks on chance. What's the gambling record that the state broke in November? Rich, we just keep spending more and more money at casinos and racinos in this state. It's fun money. <laughs> well, Chris, in just the first 11 months of this year, the casinos and racinos took in more gambling money than ever for an entire year. And we still have a month to go, uh, reports Sean McDonald. How much? 
$2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, um, so for, for the first 11 months. And we're not talking about the bets here. That's a far higher number. We're talking about the money that the House gets to keep after paying out the winnings. Um, it's already $120 million ahead of the previous record set in 19. Uh, of course, last year was a down year, the only year since casinos and racinos uh, came back to Ohio in 2012 uh, that we've had a down year. Every other year, it's gone up each year. Uh, the facilities last year were closed for three months, and then they had some overnight closings. Uh, the number one gambling house in the state so far this year is the MGM Northfield Park Racino um, in northern Summit County. $251 million is to take there so far. Uh, Jack Casino downtown, $236 million. Jack Thistledown Racino, $182 million. That's, that's a bunch of money uh, that's circulating uh, around. Um, one reason people might want to care, though, when we talk about $2 billion, about a third of that ends up getting turned over to the state and local governments in, in fees and taxes. So uh, theoretically, that's taxes that they don't charge us elsewhere. It's not like it's an addition, uh, the educators would argue, but uh, but it is it is money that gets turned over. So it's what is that two billion? That's that's almost seven hundred million dollars in in some to some governments this year. We've never heard either, and we've talked about this previously that the casinos and racinos were super spreader places for the coronavirus. That because there's so much money involved, I guess they taken all needed precautions to keep people from spreading it they must they must be super careful and we've all seen the plexiglass dividers and things but despite people showing up there in large numbers and sitting in proximity there hasn't been a problem well i think maybe there's some entertainment dollars to be grabbed there too and that you know we saw that right out of the gate last year when they reopened it they did pretty good uh, as soon as they reopened i'm just wondering you know people have so much entertainment dollars in the budget if they weren't somebody that was hurt financially by the pandemic and maybe you know their their big trips were, were canceled the airlines still weren't running and, and and even now i think entertainment dollars in some form aren't being used as much so so maybe people are are using that part of their budget to 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 do these, these essentially are local casinos we have in Ohio. They're not the type that we used to hear about years ago where people hop on a bus and go for three days. So, so maybe they're getting some of that pool of money. Maybe so. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Has a Stowe Municipal Court judge brought back an old-fashioned debtor's prison, the kind of thing that is outlawed? What is he is accused of in a new filing by the state Supreme Court's disciplinary attorney? Lisa, it's not something we talk about a lot, debtor's prison. It makes you think back to hundreds of years ago. Right, but it seems like it came back in fashion in Judge Kim Hoover's court. At least that's according to a 35-page uh, complaint that was issued by Ohio Disciplinary Counsel Joseph Caliguri. He's asking for a hearing and possible sanctions for Hoover. Uh, from the Supreme Court's Board of Professional Conduct. So uh, the, the centering around this is 12 cases that in his court that be- date back to 2019. He's accused of ignoring the requirement to hold evidentiary hearings to determine the ability to pay before assessing jail time. He failed to mention the defendant's right to an attorney at these evidentiary hearings and showed some bias against those who cannot afford the costs or can't afford to have an attorney 
represent them in this in these cases. Um, he was quoted in the Akron Beacon Journal as saying, quote, I deny making defendants pay is a violation of ethical standards. But what he did was he kind of berated people. I mean, he had there were several cases where people would come to court like for a suspended license or misdemeanor trespassing charge. Some pled guilty, some pled not guilty. But, you know, he would say, so have you paid your $435 in costs? And this guy's like, my paycheck hasn't come in yet. And he's like, so sorry, you're going to jail. And in another case, uh, you know, the guy had $500 in outstanding fines. Um, and the jail refused to hold him in Summit County. But um, I guess Judge Hoover got around that, according to this complaint. And he sentenced the guy to 30 days in a community facility. The guy ended up spending 17 days there. He couldn't afford it. And he told the judge, he said, I can't afford to pay it right now. So, and he would like say like, well, maybe you should get money from your grandma. So he was very kind of taunting these people for not having the money to pay the fines. Yeah, and you can't do that. I mean, the whole justice reform effort that's taking place in much of the country and in Cuyahoga County is to take people's means out of it. Right now, the system penalizes the poor as opposed to people that have the means to bond themselves out. And this guy's trying to return us to the days where he locks you up until you can plead with people to come through with your cash. It's really not okay, and it has been made illegal. We have talked about this guy before, if you'll recall— he, he's term limited in his current seat because he's getting up in years and there's an age limit. So what he did to try and get a few more years was to run against his colleague in a seat that has a couple more years left in it than his seat. It was it was seen as the 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 bold faced move to to pretty much rig the system. Voters rejected him and he will end his term as as um, it was expected originally, but he's a cynical guy trying to take out a colleague just to preserve a couple more years. And really, given the way he's behaving, it's probably best if he doesn't have any more time in that office than we have to suffer through. Yeah, he's going to end his career with a, with a blot on his career if, if this goes through. And it, does, it sounds kind of damning. I mean, there are 12 cases with pretty solid evidence that he threw them in jail for failure to pay. And this goes against a 1983 Supreme Court of the United States ruling that outlawed debtors' prisons and then led to a bunch of Ohio laws that, that also outlawed prisons in the states or debtors' prisons in the state. So, yeah. Yeah, the, dis the, the disciplinary panel, they, they don't do this kind of thing often. Usually when they do it, it's because they've got a lot of ammunition. So he's in for a tough time here, as well he should be. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Well, thank you, Rich. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. I believe Seth might be back next week. He did go to Hawaii, and they've had a blizzard there, so maybe not. We'll have to see. Thanks to everybody who listened to this podcast. Mm -hmm.